Isaiah chapter 59, we're going to be beginning in verse number 14. It says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Now we're going to stop right there for a second. I want you to see that the Lord is looking upon a society where truth has fallen, where truth has failed. In other words, where truth has been forgotten. That could possibly remind you of the society in which you live. Truth has failed. Truth has been forgotten. Truth has fallen in the streets. And today, in this generation, if you begin to stand up for the truth, you will begin to take the onslaught of hell. Just like in every generation, but in a generation that has turned away from God's truth, it will be incumbent upon you to know what God's remedy for the situation is. Now we see here it says that, that truth is gone. Truth is fallen down. What that means, I want you to know this, truth never changes. Jesus said he's the truth. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Truth never changes. Then how did truth fall? Because God's people let it go. Truth cannot be changed. What is true is true. The truth will set you free, right? No, he said the truth will make you free. That's what Jesus said. He said you'll know the truth and it'll make you free. The truth doesn't change. The truth cannot be changed. It cannot be broken. The truth is the reality of the matter and that is Jesus Christ. But this truth that he's talking about right here, it means that people let it go. That people had rather fit in with society than fit in with God. And you're going to have to make that choice yourself. There will be decisions that you will have to make in your family. You'll have to stand on either the Word of God or society's approval in the coming days if you haven't had to make that decision already. In your business, in your home, maybe even in your church. There will be times that you will have to look to God's Word for the answer and stand on it and face whatever comes. As Martin Luther famously said, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Martin Luther got that revelation that the just live by faith and he stood up against the whole entire Catholic church and he said, I can't change, that, that's what it says. And there's times that we're going to have, now you may not be a Martin Luther, but you could be a Martin Luther to your family. You could find a truth in the Word of God. You could find a truth that runs against the grain of society and stand up for your family and say, look, I know that you think that this is right. I know that TV tells you it's right. I know the President tells you it's right. I know the Supreme Court tells you it's right. But God's Word says it's wrong. And I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I can do no other. God help me. See, you can be a light for your family. You can be a light in your home. You can be a light in your community, on your workplace, in your friends, wherever you go. You can be a vessel that God can use in this generation. But as in every generation, there has to be people that will stand up for the truth. Here the truth fell. And God looked, God wondered, God got excited. God's going to intervene. And what God was looking for in the midst of it was an intercessor. He was looking for somebody to get a burden. 
He was looking for somebody that was ready to get afflicted for God. He was looking for somebody to take on God's cause like David did. All of the warriors of Israel looked at the battlefield and they were fine. They were fine allowing the enemy to mock, allowing the enemy to be on the prowl, allowing the enemy to push back the armies of God. But there was one shepherd boy. There was one shepherd boy that knew God, that knew God. And he would not allow any enemy, no matter how big the enemy was, in his presence, in his presence, to come against his God. And he stood. He said, is there not a cause? And that's what you'll have to ask yourself. Is there not a cause? This generation, there are souls going to hell. This generation, there are people deceived and in darkness. There are people that believe that they can live however they want to live, that they don't even have to be born again. They, they can do whatever they want to do, and that you have your truth and I have my truth. This generation is deceived and in darkness today. Where's the church? Where's the church? The truth that has fallen. There's so many things that you can get into. I'll share just a couple of these with you. Ways that the truth has fallen. Today, our nation, our nation is, is allowing the practice of abortion like never before. It was started out, listen, it was started out by a woman who was a ravening racist woman. Her desire was to remove every single African American. That was her desire. And we've allowed it. We've promoted it. And our government pays for it. Truth has fallen because we turn a blind eye to it. When was the last time the church got down on its knees and asked God to remove this blight from our nation? This ungodly blight. This is evil against an entire generation of people. More people, more babies have been aborted in our generation in our generation that have been lost in war. All, all from a racist beginning. All from a racist root. That root needs to be plucked up. That root needs to be plucked up. But God's church is too busy. God's church is too busy putting quarters in the arcade. God's church is too busy riding the merry-go-round. Saying we, as we go around our carousel. Then to get in the battle, then to get on our knees, to get on our face and to seek the Lord and say, Lord, here's a cause. I'll stand on this. This is not right. I will pour out my heart and my soul for this cause. God's desire, listen, is that, is that we stand in the gap for those. That we stand in the gap for those. Now here we see also in our generation so many other causes. You can run down the list. All you have to do is turn on the news and you'll begin to get causes left and right. We're in the middle of Pride Month right now. This is an affront to God. God called sodomy and homosexuality, however you want to say it. God called it an abomination from the beginning. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for it. They didn't repent from it. Don't, mis don't misunderstand. There's, there's not a sin that God won't save somebody from. If they'll turn from it, if they'll repent of it, God will save them, God will deliver them, and God will heal them, and God will set them free from it. But you have to understand you cannot accept these things. God doesn't accept these things. God will forgive the repentant sinner just like he does any other sinner. But we have to understand that we as God's people must stand in the gap.
that we must intercede for God's people, that we must proclaim the truth. Truth cannot be fallen on our watch. It won't bode well for you if truth is fallen on your watch. Look, I know that it's going to cost you something. You don't want to get kicked off Facebook. You don't want to get kicked off this. You don't want to lose friends. You don't want to upset people. But I promise you, I would rather stand on judgment day and have God's approval than this society's approval. I promise you that you would rather on that day hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. You stood for the cause. You fought till the end. You held on to truth than to hear the society approval of you today. I promise you. This generation is perverted. There's pedophiles. Even in our city, every week, there's more pedophiles that get arrested. More pedophiles that are either approaching children, talking to children, or watching children on their computer. It's a sick society that we're in. It's a blight on society. And the church is turning a blind eye. Well, what can you do about it? Can you go in their home and can you click the computer off? No, but you can intercede. You can fight. Look, I want to show you something today. God's charged the church to fight in the spirit. You can't go and monitor everybody's computer, but you got somebody who can. You can't go in everybody's home, but I know someone who can. You, you can't bring conviction to anybody's soul. You can't bring conviction to anybody's heart. But I know someone who can. I know someone who brings conviction to the world. I know someone who will set the captives free. And it's not you. It's not me. It's God Almighty. And if we'll call on him, I know he'll come through. I know he'll move those mountains. I know he'll set the captives free. I know he will loose the sin that's held this nation in captivity for too long. I know it. But the church has to come up like David did and said, is there not a cause? It's time to engage. It's time for war. It's time to get in the battle. It's time. Now here we see an important truth. He says that truth is fallen. It, it, and he that departs from evil, that would be hopefully you, he that departs from evil maketh himself a prey. You see, if you let this run on for too long, the world's going to come against the righteous. It, there's no more que sarah, sarah, hold hands, sing kumbaya, you do what you want, I'll do what I want. Listen, if you let the devil get a foothold in your family, he's going to come for you the jugular. You begin to allow things in your home that you know are not of God, I want you to know this, the devil don't play patty cake. The devil will come for the jugular. And he does it in your home. He'll do it in your marriage. He'll do it for your children. He'll do it in your church. He'll do it in your city. And he's doing it in America. You can't allow the devil to have a foothold without understanding the daggers coming for the throat. So here we see that when, when, when truth is fallen, even those that depart from evil, you, want, you might be innocent. You might be a, just a good old boy, meaning nobody any harm. You, you, you just might be that kind of guy. You, I ain't never done nobody wrong. I'm just going to do my thing. Look, if you, if you don't go with the darkness, the darkness will come after you. That's where we're coming to. That's where we're coming to. That's where America is headed. You need to know this. This has already happened in other nations. God spoke about it right here. God tells you right here what the next thing to happen is. There was a time in, in Russia's history 
that they went in in the homes. They went in the suburbs and they began to bring people out in the street and murder them right there in the street in front of their families and everything. And then they take over their home. That kind of evil and wickedness, if we don't contend against this evil, that kind of wickedness will come to America. In some form or some fashion, there will be an evil that comes upon us. We're not going to be exempt. You might say that America was founded on Christian values. Well, that's great, that's good, and we've come a long ways. But that doesn't guarantee the prosperity of God, the blessing of God, if we turn our back on God. If we turn our back on the truth. If we turn our back on his light, if we allow the devil to get a foothold in this nation or in our home or in our communities or even in our churches, then we'll suffer the consequences for it. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that's what he reaps. God is not mocked. You can't sow to the flesh and reap of the spirit, honey. You, you can't do it. You can't sow to the flesh and then receive all the windfall blessings of God. That's not how God operates. God's not going to be mocked. So here and we know that it's the devil that mocks God. From the beginning, he's mocked God. And he's the one that plants those thoughts in our lives. This is, hey, if you just continue to do this, God won't care. God won't care. Look what happens right here. It says that, now, now I want you to just understand something. I'm not just picking on a few sins because there's things in America, there's things in the church that are even, you know, wrong as well, like fornication or adultery. Uh, one of the biggest eye-opening things for me whenever I got into ministry was seeing one minister take another uh, person's wife. It's shocking, horrible. I had to leave the, the, the group of ministers that I was with because they allowed it to go on. And that kind of stuff goes on. But we have an obligation to stand up for what's right, even if it costs us positions, even if it costs us friendships, even if it costs us likes on Facebook, even if it costs you, you must stand for what is right. If you begin to compromise on things that you know are wrong, you'll begin to compromise on things that are hugely wrong. The devil's never satisfied having you compromise a little. Anybody that's ever backslidden, anybody that's ever grown complacent, anybody that's ever grown cold will tell you the devil's never satisfied if you'll compromise a little. Oh, yeah, go ahead and compromise a little. Watch what happens. It's a slippery slope. That word is a word for a reason. Compromise is a slippery slope. The devil is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy you're not above that. You're the target. And his desire is to take you out. His desire is to take you out because if you'll get in the battle and engage in the war, God can do miraculous things through you. That's how God designed the church. To pray, to intercede, to call on God. To stand in the gap. But if we're too busy playing patty cake and putting quarters in the carousel and letting the motion of the church continue on, we're never going to see what God wants to do in our generation. But we will see what the devil wants to do. Now here, I want you to know something. God was burdened. God got burdened right here because truth fell. You know why God got burdened? He was talking about Zion. He was talking about Zion, but I want you to know this before we get in, that God was just, God was, is just as zealous for you, 
for the church today as he was for Zion. If God was ever zealous for Zion, for Jerusalem, if God was ever zealous for the holiness of the promised land, I want you to know something. He's zealous for the holiness of your life. Follow peace with all men. Right? Follow peace with all men. And you know what? Know this. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. No man will see the Lord. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Watch. Watch what happens next in this verse 16. It says, and he saw, this is talking about God, it said, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. I want you to see something. God wondered. It's amazing how we just go past this. God wondered why nobody stood up. God wondered why everybody was okay with, this, with the boat sinking. God wondered why everybody was okay with a nation going to hell. God wondered why nobody got burdened for the Spirit of God. God wondered why nobody would pray. Could that be said over our nation? That God would wonder why we didn't get a burden? You see, one of the things that our generation misses, we don't want to be burdened. We, we, look, we don't want to be bothered. We don't want to be burdened. But, you know, Leonard Ravenhill said, if you're going to be a man or a woman of God, you're going to get a burden for God. Well, I thought Jesus said he was going to take all my burdens away. No, he said there's going to be an exchange. He said his burden was light, is easy. But there was an exchange. See, you missed that part of the sermon because a lot of times people cut things off. They only give you half the context. They only give you half the reality. They'll stop at part A of that verse. Notice what happened. He said he wondered that there was no man. That's somebody to stand up. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. That's somebody. You know what an intercessor is? An intercessor is somebody that stands in the gap. An intercessor is somebody that sees the disparity going on. An intercessor is somebody that's willing to get on their face and cry out to God on behalf of another. Well, I'm fine. I got my bills paid, Pastor. Well, good. Other people are going without. Let's pray for them. Well, you know what? I'm not hurting right now. I got this and I got that. Well, you know what? There's other people that are hurting. Maybe we should take our eyes off of our own selves and our own situation and our own jobs, our own homes, our own families and begin to look on the, the plight of others, begin to look and see what others are going through, what others are facing. And once we begin to do that, then God might use us and God might put our eyes on other things. An intercessor is someone who opens themselves up to God that God would begin to use them to pray and stand in the gap, to stand in the gap to see God move. An intercessor is someone who knows the answer comes from heaven. An intercessor is not someone who takes control of the steering wheel. You ever, you ever ridden somewhere with a backseat driver? A backseat driver, they, you, you take a corner too slow or too quick, and they just almost grab the wheel and say, just let me do that. That's not what an intercessor is. An intercessor knows that God's not calling us to take the matter in our own hands, but what God's calling us to do is to realize the power of prayer he's calling us back to that place where we come to a reliance on God for the needs of our family for the needs of ourselves for the needs of our church for the needs of our nation 
where we come back to that place where we get down on our knees and cry out for the drunk, cry out for the homosexual, cry out for the person considering trying to surgically change their gender, to cry out on our knees for those that are in hopeless situations and bound in chains to get down on our face and intercede that God would have his way in this generation again. That God would begin to move the mountains in the lives of those that feel like they're closed in. That God would begin to move mountains in those that feel like they're in darkness and can't see their way out. That's our job. Our job is to intercede. Our job is to intercede. Well, I don't want that job, Pastor. Okay. Well, I know that. The church don't want that. There's two, there's two ways the church kind of goes from that. One way, you can stay ignorant and in bliss. If you don't want to intercede, you can stay ignorant. Just go watch a ball game. Go take your kids to soccer practice. Go make sure you catch Wheel of Fortune. Don't miss the, the show that comes on at 8 o'clock. Don't miss what the show that comes on at 9 o'clock. And don't forget to, you know, go feed the birds. Don't, don't forget to go do this and to go do that. But by all means, go, be so busy that you never get to that place where you intercede. See, the church can stay ignorant. The church can stay ignorant. We can ignore it. We can ignore it. A lot of times when you look at the way that the church is today, when you look at the way that the world is today, you have, to, you have to admit, by and large, the church is ignoring the evil that is going on today. As long, look, let me tell you something. Outreach. If you bring an offering bucket to outreach, it's not outreach. It's a fundraiser. And a lot of times what people do today is nothing more than to build their empires, to build their own kingdoms, to, to further their own brand, to further their own denomination. It, it is to see their own people magnified and, and lifted up and to go further than to see God magnified in families again. Watch, watch this. We can ignore it because we can keep the show going on. A lot of people uh, you know, treat the church as a business. And if you begin to preach like this, if you begin to preach against evil, you begin to preach against, you know, abortion and homosexuality and adultery and fornication and drunkenness. And, you know, we went through this whole thing on Freemasonry. We went through all these kinds of things. You begin to preach on the, the sin of yoga, the sin of uniting with false spirits and the sin of this and the sin of that. Guess what? People don't like that. People don't like that. You know, you, if you're going to keep the, the circus going on, you're going to have to ignore sin. You're going to have to ignore sin. Now, there's another way that the church does this. So if you, if you don't want to intercede, you're going to fall into one of two camps. You're either going to ignore the situation. You know, I love my mom so much, but she was like that. She would ignore the situation. We would have, you know, uh, maybe the... the um, on, on our van, we had a van, and, and it had the, um, where it would get unbalanced, the tires would get unbalanced, and I mean, she would ignore it, the, you would just be driving down the road, it'd be vibrating, bah, 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 bah. what's wrong, nothing's wrong, something's wrong, and the whole, the windows, the rear view mirrors falling off, something's wrong, mom, nothing is wrong, and I mean, she just grabbed hold of that steering wheel tighter, and ignore the situation. How many of you know there's times in your own lives, in your soul, in your heart, in your family, in the church, or in the world today, you just can't ignore these things. When it comes to sin, you can't ignore sin. 
because the wages of sin is death. Let me repeat that. The wages of sin is death. You can't ignore sin. It will kill. It will destroy. It will annihilate your family, your home, your community, your church, the nation. The wages of sin is death. So we can ignore it. We can grab the steering wheel tighter and just shake down the road and just say, everything's great. Ah, the show must go on. Put another quarter in the church's carnival and, and come ride the ride with us. So if you're not going to ignore it like that, the other option is you can, just, uh, you, you can just intermingle with it. Join in with it. Say it's okay. You're going to have to do one of, the, one of these three. You, you, you're going to be on the camp that, that ignores the evil that's going on, or you're going to be in the camp that intermingles with it and says, man, pastor, he's too crazy. He's, he's all the time talking about holiness. He's all the time talking about that holy standard. He's all the time talking about truth. He's all the time talking about Jesus' only way. I mean, we can just do this. Nobody said we can't do that. Well, the Bible does. Look, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, just let the Bible tell you what's up. Let the Bible tell you what the reality is. You don't have to take my word for it. In, in, in fact, don't take my word for it. Go back in Scripture and look it up. See if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll admit I'm wrong. But if what I'm saying is right, then we need to heed the Word of God. We need to understand God's calling a generation to intercede for the nation for the church, and for our homes, for our families. So we can ignore the reality or we can intermingle with it. We can wine and dine with sin and still call ourselves the church like many do today. Like many do today. Well, you know, one of the things that, that I wanted you to see is that, that, that Jesus, he, he actually touched on this matter of intermingling. He actually touched on the matter of both intermingling and ignoring the reality of the matter. You see, Jesus, whenever he came to this earth, it was his opportunity to, to, to physically walk in the temple. This is God manifest in the flesh. This is his temple. It's a carbon copy of the temple in heaven. You see, God, God got stirred up when he walked in the temple. He wasn't moved by the majesty of the gold. He wasn't moved by the sound of the song. Like today's generation. They're moved by gold. They're moved by the song. Turn down the lights. Turn on the candles. Jesus was not moved by the emotion of walking into the temple. He was actually moved, but it wasn't a good movement. He was actually moved because he became zealous for the house of God. He saw the evil that was going on in the temple. Now, just to let you know where this is going, today, if you're a child of God, the Bible says you are the temple of God. There is no standing temple today. Whenever the third temple's built, that's the one the Antichrist is going to rule and reign in, so don't worry about that one. 
The Bible says you were bought with a price. You are the temple of God. You are the one that the Holy Ghost lives in today. You are the one that's supposed to be called out, chosen generation, a godly priesthood, a kingdom of priests for God. You are the one that the holy fire is supposed to burn in. You are the one that God wants to inhabit. You are the one that God said, I'll walk in them. I'll dwell in them. I will be their God and they will be my people. You are the one that God lives in. If you're a born again child of God, regardless of nationality, regardless of race, regardless of church belonging, regardless of any of that, if you're a child of God, born again, God lives in you. One of the things that you need to know is that God is zealous for his house. You need to know that. God is zealous for his house. God doesn't want mud coming in through his home. You just thought your grandma didn't like people walking in the house with mud. When it comes to sin, God doesn't want sin in his house. He doesn't want sin in the camp. The greatest loss that the nation of Israel had was in the littlest city when they came into the promised land. Little OAI, they lost the whole battle. That big old, big army of Israel, the whole army was defeated by the littlest town because sin was in the camp. God wasn't going to allow his people to be victorious while they were also holding hands with sin. Do you think God changed? Do you really think God changed? You wonder why you're not walking in victory? You wonder why somebody's not walking? Why is the church not walking in victory? Where's the victory gone? We sing about victory. In, well, we used to. Our church does. But we sing, we sing victory in Jesus. But many people don't know what that's like. Many people are so far down under oppression, so much in darkness, so enslaved by sin, so much in bondage that when you begin to preach the truth, when you begin to preach by the Spirit of God, then, then the enemy begins to come and, and begin to tear things apart. How dare he talk about my yoga? How dare he talk about my, my this or my that? Well, what happens here is that the, the Lord began to, 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 to minister he didn't come in and congratulate the temple for all the money they were bringing in and all the sacrifices that they were having. But he grabbed a whip in John chapter 2 and he began to drive out all those that bought and sold in the temple. And it says that, that he said, the, the disciples looked later and they said, now we remember. The scripture says that zeal had consumed him. He was zealous for the house of God. He was zealous for the house of God. I want to know, does God change? If Jesus was zealous for that temple that was laid by bricks and mortar, do you think that he's zealous for the temple that was laid by the Holy Ghost? Do you think that he was zealous for the temple that was bought by his own blood? If, if Jesus walked in that temple that was brick and mortar and dust and, and, and had centipedes crawling in and crickets over here and frogs hopping over there, if he was zealous for that temple, how much more is he zealous for that temple that was, that was paid for with his own blood, that was built by the Holy Ghost, that is inhabited by the very presence of God? 
I would say he's very zealous. I would say he's very zealous. God doesn't change. You can't expect, you cannot expect, you cannot expect God to be zealous over that dark temple. That temple made by hands. And that He not also be zealous for the temple made by the Spirit. It says in verse number 16, he saw that there was, no, there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. I want you to know something. God, God is not going to let the enemy win in the end. Even if every person turns their back on God, God's going to win. God's going to have the final say-so. And there will be a generation that comes just like this. There will be a time that, that it, almost everybody turns their back on God. Jeremiah lived in a day and an hour like that. Jeremiah, they called him the weeping prophet because nobody listened to him. Nobody repented. Nobody turned and called upon the name of the Lord. But because he lifted up the truth, Daniel read about Jeremiah. Daniel grabbed hold of some of the things that Jeremiah said and it gave him comfort and it gave him light while he was in Babylon. And I don't know, maybe we're going to go to Babylon, but somebody needs to know the truth because somebody's going to get set free. I don't know if it's this generation. I don't know if it's this day and this hour, but the truth is the truth regardless of the age. And Jeremiah spoke the truth. Nobody listened, but a generation later, Daniel grabbed a hold of it and Daniel listened. Daniel stood. Daniel stood and he prayed with his window open. He didn't care who saw. He didn't care what happened. He stood for God. He stood for righteousness. He stood for Zion, regardless of the price that it cost him. That's the kind of fire God wants to put in you. That's the kind of zeal God wants to give you. That's what the church is missing today. We're living in Ignorantville or Interminglingville instead of Intercedingville. We must come back to that place where we see God's truth. Now, one of the things that we need to know is we need to know God's truth. The scripture that Jesus said, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you don't know the truth, you can't be made free. If you don't know the truth, you're going to be destroyed for that lack of knowledge. You have to know the truth. But if you'll get it, if you'll hold on to it, it'll make you free. Nobody, nobody will be able to put any kind of bondage on the child of God. No devil can put any bondage on the child of God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The only way that the nation of Israel was defeated is because they compromised. It wasn't because the enemy was stronger and bigger and badder. And it's the same thing today. The enemy is not stronger or bigger or badder. It's just because we're compromised that we live in defeat. But if we'll get back to the fundamentals of the faith, get back to the Word of God, stand on His truth, intercede for those around us, God will move again. God will light a fire in the church. God will come through. He is mighty to save. He's not weak. He's not impotent. He's waiting on the church to cry out. He's not done yet. He's not finished yet. There's still a latter rain move that God's going to pour out on the nations. God's not done. I want you to know something. And God never calls you to try to win the victory in your own strength. 
I want you to know and understand before we get to this next part that God's not calling you to raise up a moral standard. It's not moral standards that our nation needs. Our nation needs the standard of the Spirit of God. It needs the breath of God on it. Our nation, listen, you can write a law an hour, and that's what they do in Congress. But as uh, one minister famously said, if you can't obey the ten, you won't obey the hundred or the thousand or the ten thousand. If you can't obey the ten commandments, you won't obey any of them. Because the ten commandments, God brings it and boils it down to the root issue. And you might say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament saint. Well, yes, you are. Hallelujah. Praise God. Give God the glory because you won't get stoned for not missing church. Hallelujah. But you know what? God set the bar higher. You might be a New Testament saint, but he didn't lower the bar. He didn't lower the bar and say, okay, I'm going to take this hurdle way down here. No, the law, he brought it way up there. In the Old Testament, it said, you shall not commit adultery. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, you shall not look upon a woman in lust. Well, I thought as long as I just didn't do what I wanted to do, it'd be all right. No, it ain't. That means your heart needs to get right with God. Well, my Sunday school teacher said, I can look but not touch. Your Sunday school teacher was a liar, and that lies from the pit of hell. Setting a generation up for failure is what that is. Jesus is a little bit higher than your Sunday school teacher. And Jesus said, if you look upon any person in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And God said... God said, no adulterer will enter into kingdom of heaven. Well, I'm not meaning anybody harm. I'm just doing my own thing with my computer. No, you are in fact an adulterer in heart and you must repent and get right with God. He will cleanse you, he will forgive you, and he will set you free from that demonic hell hole, but you've got to repent and come back to the Lord and call out to Jesus and he will. So he says in verse number, I want you to see this though. I want you to see this. Verse number 17. It says, for he put on righteousness. He put on righteousness. Now this should ring a bell to some of y'all. You study the Bible, you listen to sermon. This should start ringing a bell right here. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation was upon his head. And he put on the garment of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. I want you to see something. Did Jesus actually put on a helmet and a breastplate? Did he actually put on a cloak? Did he? No. No, he didn't. He didn't actually, literally, this is a spiritual, spiritual helmet, a spiritual breastplate, a spiritual cloak, and it defeated the enemy. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. You may see the battle manifesting in the natural, but the battle begins in the spiritual. It is a spiritual battle. No matter how hard and how heavy you see it manifesting in the natural, it is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle, and the battle belongs to the Lord. 
If it's a spiritual battle, the battle belongs to the Lord. If it's a real battle, the battle belongs to the Lord. But you've got to know and understand where the battle starts. It starts in the spirit. When Jesus went to war with the enemies of Zion, he didn't put on a real literal helmet and a real literal breastplate and a real literal cloak. It's figurative. Spiritual. Spiritual garments. I want you to know something. I want you to know something. God gives you the same thing. See, as a New Testament saying, as a child of God, one inhabited by the Holy Spirit, I want you to know God is not only, God is not only going to fight for us, but he'll fight with us. He didn't leave you impotent. He gave you, he gave you the vessels for battle. God's not calling you to go into a battle and not going to equip you for the fight. God's not going to call you to contend against the forces of darkness and not give you the power to win the battle. But you must fight according to the rules of engagement from the kingdom of heaven. You cannot win a battle against a mortal enemy fighting with mortal weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God, listen, God's calling you to engage in the spiritual war, to fight for your family on your knees. It's not about taking a cast iron skillet to your husband's head. It's not about kicking somebody in the rear. It's about getting on your knees, contending in prayer, fighting for them, laboring for them, bring them to the throne, call upon Jesus, and Watch God move. God, listen, God's not going to tell you to do something and not give you the ability to do it. But so many Christians, so many people think, well, I don't have to put on the armor of God. I'm not a fighter. If you're not a fighter, you're a loser. Our families suffer because we're not interceding, because we're not standing in the gap, because we're not taking ground for the kingdom of God. We're suffering loss. The kingdom of Zion was almost completely annihilated. If God hadn't have come through, the whole nation would have been taken under. And some of us, we, we don't care. We'll see our kids do this, and we'll see our, our marriages do that, and we'll see our nation do this, and our church do that. Well, I can't change them, and I can't change that. Well, guess what? Neither can I, but I know someone who can. I know someone who changes hearts. I know someone who breaks bondages. I know someone who sets the captives free. I know someone who drives out demons. I know someone who heals bodies. I know someone who saves sinners. I know someone who is not scared to get down in a valley and heal and apply the balm from Gilead to that one that's wounded. I know someone. His name is Jesus. He hasn't retired. His desire is still to save. His desire is still to set free. He has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he, listen, if he ever has, he still will. If he ever has, he still will. And that's what the church has to stand on. The battle is not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we are charged to get into the battle, to engage in the warfare, to contend in the Spirit, and to call upon our mighty God. God's called us to the battlefield. God's called us to the battlefield to intercede, 
to intercede, to get involved, to roll up our sleeves, to get in the fight, to go out and contend with the forces of darkness, not in your own strength, not in your own power, not in your own intellect, not in any of that, but in the Spirit of God, in the armor that God gives you. In the armor that God gives you. Now, let me show you something real quick. Let me show you something real quick. Hold your finger there and take, go, back, go over with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Keep your finger there because we're going to come back. It says here in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. I want you to know that, that God is not just suggesting that you use the armor of God. The armor of God's not for pastors only or deacons. The armor of God is, is not just for the husbands. It's, it, the armor of God's not just for the, the, the Sunday school teacher or the Sunday school student. The armor of God is not just for when you go in a bad time. How many of you know there was a time you might have got in the battle? You might have you waged war. You might have fought and, and, and prayed through a situation. But you know what? The battle's still going on. Some of us, we quit battling as long as our home's okay. I want you to know something. The devil might send you a little blessing to keep you off the battlefield. Well, everything's good at my home. I got cable TV, I got a rocking chair, and I got an air conditioner. Y'all go on down there and pray. Y'all go on down there and minister. Y'all go on down there and do this and that and the other. Well, you know what? It might just be the devil giving you a little bit of blessing to keep you off the battlefield. Some of us, we're, we're okay. That's right where the devil wants you to be. Because if you're okay and you're not engaged, guess what? The kingdom suffers. The violent take it by force. The kingdom suffers. The violent take it by force. Now, we see this reality. You see this reality. The devil's a deceiver. He comes as an angel of light. He's a liar from the beginning. He masquerades as an angel of light. Even as he has demons and apostles that masquerade as angels of light. And he would love nothing more than to take the fire out of your belly. That you not look upon those that are downtrodden. That you not look upon those that are lost in sin. That you not look upon those that are dangling over an eternal hell. He would love nothing more than to set you on a soccer field watching somebody play soccer. He would love nothing more in this generation than to have you camped up in front of a TV watching some men throw a ball in a hoop. He would love nothing more than for you to get caught up in days of our lives. He would no love nothing more than for you to get caught up in some TV program and keep you off the battlefield. Well, you see, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there. When the church gathers together in the name of Jesus, you should be there. When the church comes up on a cause, you should roll up, you should roll up on that battle and say, let's do it. When a family suffers, we should band together and pray them through. When the people of God are under onslaught from the devil, the people of God should band together and pray through the situation. But too many people are too comfortable with their rock and share their TV. I guess I could say it like this with Facebook too. It says in verse number 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I want, I want to ask you, is that a suggestion to you? 
Well, that's not just for pastors. The book of Ephesians is not like Timothy or Titus. It's not just written to the leadership of the church. The book of Ephesians was written to the saints. Are you a saint? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In other words, if you don't, you won't. Really? There's, there's a lot in that. You know, I talk to a lot of people about their walk with the Lord. Pastors do that. But it might surprise you the amount of people that just don't put on the armor of God. But if you don't put it on, guess what? The wiles of the devil will mislead you and take you down a road you don't belong in and take you down a place where you don't need to go and it'll cause things to happen that God never intended for you, for your family, for your city, for your nation, for your church. Now, look with me down here. Skip with me down to verse number 14. It says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Hallelujah. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Does all mean all in your Bible? Yes, it does, Pastor. That means that there's not one dart from the devil that can destroy you if you'll take up the shield of faith. Hallelujah! Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Take up the shield of faith. He can't defeat you. He can't defeat you that way. Look at this next verse. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now I want you to know, those things that we just covered is the exact same thing that God talked about in Isaiah 59. The exact same thing. Do you know that you have a privilege to wear the battle garments that God wore? Well, how do I know it's my size? It's spiritual garments. It's a spiritual battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to pull down strongholds. God is calling you to wear what He wore. He's inviting you to fight the way He fought. He's inviting you to come back in that place where you get that anointing of God on your life where God consecrates you and sets you apart ready for the battle. Without the armor of God, we're sitting ducks, but in the armor of God, I want you to know this. God will go before you. And God will remove every demon, every dark thing, every demonic stronghold. They will all crumble and fall in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can't roll up there with your own thing. Well, my pastor said, look, you're going to end up like a son of Sceva. They went over there to cast out demons and they said in the name of, of the Jesus that Paul preaches. You, you, you can't do that. You've got to have the armor of God. He said, Jesus, we know him. Paul, we know, but who are you? 
See, if you don't have the armor of God, you don't have any standing. In other words, the devil does exactly what he wants to do in your home. He's got you right where he wants you. If you're not wearing the armor of God, he's got you where he wants you. He can use you. He can use you. He can keep you off the battlefield, and he can use you to distract others. He can use you to be a discouragement to the bride of Christ. He can use you to be a distraction to those that are pursuing God. Now, brother, you just need to turn it down a little bit. You're just getting a little too excited, brother. I mean, look, we all this, the devil can use you. You have to be aware. If you're not operating in the armor of God, he will. He will. And I'll come back. It's going to tie into the intercession. Look at the next verse. It says praying. How? Praying always. Well, what is that? What does praying have to do with fighting? What does praying have to do with the armor of God? It's everything. If we're not a praying people, we're, as Leonard Ravenhill said, if we're not playing, we're, if we're not praying, we're playing. If pastors don't pray, there's no anointing. If the people don't pray, there's no victory. If the church don't pray, we never go out into the battlefield. We are the battlefield. But when we get in the prayer closet and we begin to contend for the things of God, God has an army. God unites us by His Holy Spirit. God puts His precious armor upon His saints. He unifies us. We're not fighting each other. It's not battle royal up in here. It's not WWF. But it's an army. It's an army for God. It's an army that goes out into the highways and the byways seeking those that society has cast aside. Seeking those that God desires to save. I want you to know this. God's not willing that one person perish. I don't care who they are or what they've done. God's not willing that any perish. I thank God for the testimony of Jeffrey Dahmer. Brother Kent Hoven had some of his DVDs sent to, to Jeffrey Dahmer. And Kent Hoven is a creation uh, scientist. He, he, he believes in the literal creation of the world. Jeffrey Dahmer, as he was in prison for, for murdering and cannibalizing, I don't know how many people, he was on death row. He got a DVD sent to him. It told him evolution was a lie. Get God made him. And he got saved. God penetrated his heart. God saved him on death row. He became a child of God before he died. He had to, look, I, want, I mean, if you do the crime, you got to pay the time. you got to pay your debt to society. But I want you to know, he had his debt forgiven from God. Jesus paid his debt on the cross, just like Jesus paid our debts. And it was an amazing thing. But I, I, I love that testimony. But I want you, why am I bringing that up? Because I'm just telling you, nobody is outside the reach of God. If anybody should have had everybody turn their back on them, it's a murdering cannibal. But God saved them. Because God saved him, God saved all sinners. If any, any sinner that will turn and repent and believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God will save them. Yeah. 
That's why I came. God showed his love in the while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. God didn't make you get right and clean up before he came to you. God went to the cross and made himself available for you. And when you say yes to Jesus, he'll begin to do a work in you. But he takes you just like you are. He don't leave you that way, but he takes you just like you are. Somebody needs to say amen on that one. I'm telling you, that's exciting. God didn't tell me to sober up before he saved me. He saved me, and then I sobered up. Hallelujah. God's not willing that anybody perish. God doesn't want the homosexuals to perish. He doesn't want the, 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 the pedophiles to perish. He doesn't want the people that are adulterers in the church and, and, and all these fornicators to perish. He doesn't want these liars and drunkards to perish. He doesn't want the Freemasons to perish. He doesn't want the people that are caught up in yoga to perish. He doesn't want, he doesn't want the complacent to perish. But if they don't turn to Christ, they will. If they don't repent and come out of those things, they will. But God made a way. God made a way. And our job is to intercede. Our job is to intercede. Our job is to keep our faith firmly fixed on the cross of Jesus Christ and our hand to be outstretched to the lost. That's our job. Our job is not to have a carnival. Our job is not to, 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 to have a, a, a time where we sit on a carousel. Our job is to hold to the cross and to reach for the lost. That's our job. We must come back to the place of being intercessors for God. There's a standard God is lifting in this generation. Watch this. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Spiritual prayer. Sometimes you just... You, you got to pray in the Spirit. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Start that engine. But God's called you to wage war in the Spirit. Not in the flesh, not in the carnal, not in your brain, but in the Spirit. Praying always, that covers intercession. Now flip with me back to Isaiah 59, last verse, verse number 19. There is, it is one of these things that you have to understand. God's desire is that you put on the armor of God and begin to fight, begin to contend in the battle, begin to pray without ceasing, begin to pray in the Spirit. And look at verse number 19, Isaiah 59. So shall they... Now this is uh, the beginning you had a problem because truth was falling. In the middle you see how God fixed it because God came in with the, with the armor of God. And right here you see the effect, the effect of the armor of God. Look at this. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. What does God do with the armor of God? He lifts a standard in the church. We have it backwards. We think the world needs to get better standards. Oh, y'all just need to tuck in your shirt tail, pull up your pants, change your music, do this, do that. 
We're trying to put God's moral standards on an immoral society. And it doesn't work. God calls the church to a higher standard. It is the standard of the Spirit of God. It is God's Spirit that lifts up the standard. And when we are lifted up by the Spirit of God, we'll begin to intercede for the lost. We'll begin to intercede for our husbands. We'll begin to intercede for our wives or our children or our uncle or our auntie or our church or our country or our president or anyone else that is lost and needs a touch from God. It is when the Spirit of God begins to move in our lives that that standard gets lifted. We begin to call on the name of Jehovah, calling on Jesus Christ to move in these areas. And he says there, he says there, look, then they'll begin to glorify God. They'll fear His name. Look, the society around us, they don't fear God. Because the church is asleep. Soon as the church gets back in the battle and puts that armor of God on and begins to fight in the spirit, begins to fight Holy Ghost warfare, you'll begin to see the nation fearing God. You'll be, they'll begin to say, now there's a people, there's a people right there. There is, listen to me, a righteous remnant. And God is stirring up the righteous remnant. God is stoking the embers of that fire in this hour. God is not going to allow the church to go out in the quiet of the night we're going to go out with a bang we're going to go out with a shout with a voice of triumph God's going to call the church out we're going to go out in victory not with a whimper but with a shout of glory and this whole world's going to know that we are the bride of Christ we are the temple of his spirit we are the people of God we have the answer that this dark depraved demonic world needs and that is God loves you. God came to this earth to purchase you. God went to Calvary to pay for your debt to him. And God rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave when he came up out of that tomb. And God is standing today victorious, calling on the church to intercede, to pray over this victory over this nation. God's desire is that we put on that armor of God. It's not for Sunday school teachers. It's for the saint. And if we don't, we're derelict. Listen, one of us is derelict in duty, either the church or Jesus. You choose. If we see a nation being taken over by evil, I want you to know God is greater than the darkness. God is greater than the evil. It's not God being derelict in his duties. God's waiting on the church to get involved. God's waiting on the church to cancel soccer practice and get on their face again. God's waiting on the church to stop signing people up for political party and start signing them up for the kingdom of God. Hey, I get it. It's great if they vote the way you want them to vote, but it's even better if they go to heaven. And so we see, as we come to a close, there's one thing I want to just close with, is that I'm not telling you that God is is trying to get us back to a place of moral standards. Those will come later. It's a spiritual standard that God is lifting. As you begin to allow the Spirit of God to work in you, 
that spiritual standard will lift. It'll lift. 